We are, as Dale said, in a series entitled Lost, and this message series is based on a statement that Jesus made about himself. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This is what he said. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Then after his resurrection, Jesus connected this statement to us and all of his future followers when he said this to his current and future followers in John 20, 21. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. What that means is his mission is now our mission. We are here to do more than just live and work and raise our families. In fact, you've moved to this community probably in part for work. Maybe you grew up here. Uh, Maybe you just wanted to be close to the beach. Uh, We've all have different reasons why we're here. Uh, You've chosen to work where you work. You've selected the neighborhood that you live in, the apartment complex that you live in, and, and all of these have been our decisions. But behind those decisions, something bigger was going on. God was sending you, and he was sending me to this community, into the job that you work at, into the neighborhood that you live in, to seek and to save those who are lost. But do the people of this community appear to be lost to you? They don't appear very lost to me. I mean, some do, but most look like they really know what they're doing, and they definitely are charging hard and fast after something important. They they know where they're going. But if we could see below the surface, we'd probably see something different. I mean, the people of this community, and this community in general, presents very well on the surface. We, we look pretty amazing. It's a nice place to visit. But if, if you could scratch below the surface and you could get a glimpse into the hearts of the people that we share the roads and the sidewalks and the grocery stores with, you would notice the telltale signs of those who are lost. I mean, we'd see the kind of going in circles phenomena that's always characteristic of someone who's lost as we watch individuals in our community, try to make progress either in relationships or in the pursuit of happiness, only to keep just kind of ending up at the same place again and again and again. And we would see the, the growing fear and sense of desperation as, as time marches on and, and life continues as, as they try to make their way through the maze of life. And we would notice the emptiness that grows on the inside over time. But we can't see this. All we see is on the surface. And on the surface, everything looks fine. And since no one is asking for spiritual directions and no one appears to be really that lost, we just assume all is fine. And this is the way things appeared in Jesus' day as well. On the surface, most people were busy heading somewhere. But Jesus had a knack for seeing what was really going on. He could look into the heart. And again and again, he would notice someone that No one else had noticed. He would pick someone out of the crowd, kind of on the side, and people hadn't even noticed this individual. And that's exactly what happened in the scene that preceded the statement that we just read about Jesus saying, I came to seek and to save the lost. In this case, it was a wealthy man that Jesus noticed by the name of Zacchaeus. And this man caught the eye of Jesus. Now, the wealthy almost never look lost. And that's because they found what most people are looking for, wealth. You know, if you travel the world, you would be hard-pressed to find a community as wealthy as ours. I mean, there are, but there's there's just a handful that are as wealthy as our community. In fact, whenever I'm flying home and I'm at whatever airport I'm at, it's pretty easy for me to spot the gate with the flight to Orange County. (laughs) 
I mean, every once in a while I say, I wonder if I can just spot my flight without looking at the, at the board at all and seeing what gate it is. I mean, most people who live here are very competent and highly intelligent, and they spend a great deal of money on how they look. And you can just, you can tell. We're, we're pretty together as a county. And if people here don't have a lot of money, well, they're, for the most part, working really, really hard at getting more of it. And so lost would be the last word that you would use to describe the people of this area. But like Zacchaeus in the, th- in the day of Jesus, the money and the drive tend to mask the desperate scramble that many in our community have that are they're trying to find their way through life. And the truth is, like Zacchaeus, they are lost in time, or they're lost in the moment. Here's what happened in the encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus. It's recorded in Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Let me read this. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be a guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Last month, I walked into a mall in Texas that I'd never been in before, and I was looking for a shoe store. So I wandered around like you do in a big mall until I finally found that mall directory. So here's a picture of the mall directory. Now let me ask you, what is the most important part of the mall directory? It's not on this sign because I lifted this off the Internet. But what's the most important part? The you are here red button, right? If you don't have that, you could figure it out, but that red button is very, very helpful. It showed me where I was in relationship to the entire mall that was, of course, beyond my eyesight. Without that directory, I was lost. And the reason I was lost is because I'm a creature like you of space. What that means is I can only occupy one space at a time. I can't be everywhere. I'm just one place. And I can only see a certain distance. Obstacles block what I can see, like it was in the mall, and my vision limits what I can see. So if I'm going to navigate physically somewhere that's beyond what I can see, I'm going to need a map. I'm going to need someone to tell me where I am and how to get there. I'm going to need to use GPS on my phone to figure it out. I'm going to need a bigger perspective if I'm going to navigate from where I am to where I need to be. And that was the case in the mall. Until I found that directory, I was just kind of wandering around. Didn't really know where I was, kind of hoping I would bump into a shoe store. But once I got my bearings, saw that map, saw where I was, saw where the shoe store was, I could then walk with purpose. Because I knew where I was, and I knew how to get where I needed to be, even though I couldn't see where I needed to be. Now, we are not only creatures of space, we are also creatures of time. And so we not only can get lost in space, we can get lost in time. Because as creatures of time, 
we can see less than we can as creatures of space. I mean, we can't see beyond the end of our nose as creatures of time. We see this far into the future. We can imagine the future. We can plan into the future. But we have no idea what's happening in the next minute. We just don't know. And so we, we very easily become disoriented as we move through time, as we move through our life. Because God has created us to arrive at a destination that is beyond just time. And to give our lives to something that's bigger than just something that lasts here. But without a perspective that tells us not only where we are in time, but where we're designed to go and how to get there, we're just going to wander around like I did in that mall. We're going to try to figure out where things are, and, and we're just going to live for just the moment and build things that are only going to last for a few decades. Without God to guide us and tell us where we are, we get lost in the moment. We get lost in time. And like Zacchaeus, when we get lost in time, it, it tends to show up in two ways. For Zacchaeus, like most people who get lost in the moment, they first tend to get lost in the crowd. If you can't see beyond the end of your nose in terms of time, one of the common uh, ways we navigate through time is we look at where the crowd's going. And we navigate by what the crowd is doing. And for Zacchaeus, the crowd is why Zacchaeus ended up in the tree that day. But I suspect that this was not the first time in Zach's life that he made a decision because of the crowd. He got lost in the crowd. Why? Two reasons, I think. One reason is that he was a tax collector. This is an evidence that he was kind of lost in the crowd. And the second is, that is because he was short. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, why was he a tax collector? Well, we, we're not really told that. So we can kind of try to guess at what might have gone on that would cause someone in this time period to become a tax collector. But let me ask you, think back when you were young. What did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, I wanted to be a lawyer. The reason is because I loved winning arguments. And from my perspective, that's what lawyers did. I now know they do a lot of tedious work. But I thought, man, if you could get paid to win arguments, that's, that's what I want to do. It didn't work out, but, you know, that's what I wanted when I was little. Maybe you wanted to play professional sports when you grew up or work in law enforcement or fight fires or work in the medical field. But did any of you, when you were young, dream of growing up to become a tax collector? Now, don't, don't answer because we're all going to look at you and wonder. But I suspect that nobody thought, you know what? My big dream in life is I want to grow up and become a tax collector. Why? Why is that not a common dream? Well, if you're a tax collector, you know this already. Nobody likes tax collectors, right? Now, the bad image of tax collectors is completely unfair in our day. I mean, they really are a vital part of this great nation and a very important obligation that we have. So the bad image that tax collectors have just has more to, in this day, has more to do with we just don't like taxes than it does with the profession of tax collecting. But in Jesus' day, the bad reputation was well-deserved. You see, in the time of Jesus, Israel was occupied by Rome. And Rome had become the ruling empire of the day, not just because of the power of the Roman legions, but because, in part, of their tremendous ability to tax the lands that they had conquered. You see, it takes taxes to feed soldiers and build roads and construct an empire. And past empires before Rome would often set up their own in people to uh, tax the lands that they had conquered, but Rome had a new idea. Rome decided 
to rely on the locals to tax their own people. Locals knew where all the money was. They knew who was wealthy and who wasn't. They knew where the money was stashed. And they could generally see through the local attempts to hide uh, money from Rome. So this is how it worked in the day of Jesus. Rome would let the locals bid for the right to be a tax collector for a particular city or region. And the highest bidder got the job. That was the only qualification. The highest bid got the job. So the winner of the bid had then to give to Rome the amount of what they had bid. But they were free to collect as much as they wanted beyond that and keep the difference. And they had the Roman army to back them up in this. So it doesn't take much to see what would happen, given human nature. Taxes always went up. They kept going up. Because the bidding process kept increasing the amount going to Rome, and the collecting process kept increasing the amount going to the tax collector. And so tax collectors in this time were despised and hated as traitors who had sold out their own people to enrich themselves and Rome and to keep Rome's, Rome's power over them. In fact, they were ostracized from their community. This is why at the very end Jesus said, this man too is a son of Abraham. What he's saying is, I know that you don't view him as a member of this community anymore, but he, he still is an Israelite because they pretty much ostracized those who decided to become tax collectors. So the question then is, what would make someone like Zacchaeus willing to enter a profession that would create such hatred and isolation for him? It would affect him, would affect his family for the rest of his life. Why would someone do that? Well, money, of course, is the obvious reason. But I think for Zacchaeus, it probably went a little deeper than just that. Because we are not only told that Zacchaeus is a tax collector, we're also told that he is a short man. Now, for this to be a major part of the story, it's likely that he wasn't just a few inches shorter than average. He was probably a lot shorter. So how do other kids treat someone who looks very different than them growing up? Well, kids can be pretty cruel. So again, we don't know. I'm, I'm speculating on this, but I think it's a pretty good guess that the crowd growing up had not been kind to Zacchaeus. And that just maybe, after growing up and being put down because of his physical stature, Zacchaeus had decided to show everybody in the crowd and become a big man in the only way that he knew how, and that was to become wealthy, in the only way that he could figure out how, and that was to become a tax collector. You see, when we don't use God as the reference point outside of time to determine our value and to determine our purpose, what we tend to do is look to the crowd, because the crowd appears to know where it's going. Whenever a crowd's heading somewhere, your assumption is there's something going on. Whenever a crowd gathers, there must be some reason. If all of us suddenly looked over in this direction, you would think something's going on over there. Because the crowd can see more than we can as individuals. And so we just kind of assume if the crowd is heading this way, then it must have value. It must be important. So without an eternal perspective on ourselves, the crowd is often the compass that we use to get direction in life. And so we get lost following the crowd. We tend to, most people tend to follow just doing, doing whatever the crowd says. 
doing what is popular. But some do what Zacchaeus did, and that is they, they try to prove themselves to the crowd. They try to react to the crowd that maybe hasn't been kind to them. And they, they're not following the crowd, but the crowd is dictating what they're doing in life. Kind of more of in a reaction mode. But either way, whether you're just following the crowd, doing whatever's popular, or you're reacting to the crowd, the crowd is the key direction setter in your life. But the problem with that is a crowd is just a large collection of lost people. That's all a crowd is. You just, you get 100 lost people together, doesn't mean they collectively now are all found. They're just all gathered together and are lost together. So if you're walking, let's say, down a dead-end alley, a blind alley, and it it doesn't matter whether you're by yourself or with 50 people. You're still lost. And the alley is still a dead end. Now, granted, you will feel better in the company of 50 other people as you walk confidently down towards the end of this alley. But that will, will be small comfort when you come to the end. And all 50 of you realize, oh, we were lost. We didn't know where we were going. Now, for most of history, the size of the crowds that people follow have been, have been limited, really, to the number of people that we know or at least can see. But now, with the advances of technology, we don't know just what 50 or 100 people think. We know what millions and, in some cases, a billion people think. The crowds have gotten huge through the advances of media and social media. And what that means is, we have the largest crowds ever telling us what to say and what not to say, and telling us what is cool and what is not cool. And right now, this is primarily the way the crowd tells us to go which direction. I mean, we always need to steer away from what is not cool, right? That's the crowd saying, oh, don't go there. And the crowd is telling us how to navigate through life. And whether you choose to follow the crowd or, like Zacchaeus, you react to it, Everyone will eventually discover what Zacchaeus did about the crowd. The crowd doesn't know, and the crowd doesn't care. The crowd doesn't really know where it's going. And the crowd certainly doesn't care about you as an individual member of the crowd. You see, Zacchaeus had left the crowd that he grew up in, and he'd formed another one built on his success as a tax collector. Now notice, he was not just any old tax collector. He was the chief tax collector in one of the largest cities in the nation. And what that meant is he was not alone. Even though he had done what he had done, probably in reaction to the crowd, he wasn't all by himself. Many would have gathered around this kind of money and success. But clearly Zacchaeus had not found what he was looking for. He was, he was not pleased with the direction that the crowd had taken him. So when he heard about Jesus coming to town, he was curious. He had to go see. You see, he'd heard that this man cared even about tax collectors, and that was unheard of. The truth is, we care a great deal about the crowd, but the crowd could care less about us. You know, if you build your marriage on the collective wisdom of the crowd, the crowd will not be there to support you when that marriage unravels. You will be all alone. If you raise your kids by what's popular, the crowd will not even notice when your child gets stuck in one of the many traps that it, our culture sets now. And what this means is we are surrounded by people in the crowd, having lost 
or having found, followed the crowd and gotten lost or reacted to the crowd and gotten lost, and they don't know which end is up. They are now stuck. And like Zacchaeus, they are wondering, does anybody really care? The crowd doesn't care. Does anybody really notice? Does anybody even see? Does anybody know how to navigate around the traps and the past of the past and the dead ends that have wasted so many years of my life? This is what Zacchaeus was wondering. But Zacchaeus was not only lost in the crowd, he was also lost in greed. This is the other common compass that we use to guide our, our days if we don't have God to guide our days. Like many before him, Zacchaeus had decided that he was going to navigate according to money and more of it. And he had discovered what most people eventually discover when they decide to follow money. Money always shows you the next step, but it will never show you the last one. That's just the nature of money. It, it's very, money is very clear about this is the next thing you need to do. It usually comes in the form of this is the next thing you need to get. The next thing you need to purchase, or the next promotion you need to acquire, or the next house you need to get, or the next car. Now, there's nothing wrong with getting the next house, or the next car, or the next promotion. But when that becomes your compass, then you are extremely short-sighted. You are created to make an impact for eternity, not just buy the next car, or the next house, or the next piece of technology. But that's all money can do. All money can say is, this would be good, do this next but it will never show you where the last step is for you. So we get lost in greed. In that mall in Texas, I could look around me and see all kinds of stores with all kinds of things that appeal to me. But if I wanted to find a shoe store, I had to look at the map because the shoe store was not within my vision. I couldn't see it. So money, again, is great if you just want to figure out what the next thing is that you want. But it's really poor in guiding you to anything important, anything that you can't see. And what we, most people eventually discover before they leave this life, not everybody, but most people eventually discover, sometimes very late in life they discover, is that the really important things in life are the things that you can't see. The things, of course, that money can't help you acquire. Things like love and family and relationships, things that money isn't going to really help you navigate towards. So Zacchaeus had let his greed guide him for a long, long time. We don't know how long, but long enough for him to become the chief tax collector. I mean, that's not a position that you rise to by seniority in this day. You have to want that more than anything else. You have to outbid everybody else. You have to have an organization that's stronger and more robust than anyone else's. You have to be more driven and more ruthless than anyone else. In short, Money has to mean more to you than anything or anyone if you would ever have a chance of becoming the chief tax collector in one of the largest regions in the nation. So what happened? What happened to Zacchaeus? Well, we don't know the details of what was going on in his heart. We're not told that. We're just told the story. But in order for him to take the risk that he took of going out into that crowd all alone, Something big had to have happened in his heart. It had to be more than just, oh, Jesus is passing through. I'd like to take a glance. It had to be more than a whim or just curiosity that got Zacchaeus out of his compound that day. 
You see, tax collectors, especially chief tax collectors, didn't just go strolling in public with the very people they had fleeced without any armed guard. You know, that's how you ended up dead. So why would he do this? Well, let me guess again. Here's what I think might have been going on in his heart. I think probably for some time now, Zacchaeus had realized that money had not served him well. Money had not been the guide that he had hoped it would be. It had not given him the respect that he thought he might get, at least in the circles he had gathered around him. He could see the emptiness of it. He could see that people had gathered around him simply because of his money, not because they really cared. He had learned that the crowd didn't care. He'd learned that money doesn't see the future well. And he was empty on the inside. And he was probably guilty about those he had taken advantage of as he rose in power and wealth. But imagine he felt stuck. I mean, how, how do you undo all of this? How do, you, how do you undo the decades of what he had done? He didn't know how to back up. And I imagine that at some point, he had heard about the fact that Jesus had been known to spend time with tax collectors. Now, that was a shocker to everyone in this culture. And it was one of the many, or one actually the main complaints against Jesus by the religious leaders. So Zacchaeus had to have heard this buzz. He had to know the reputation Jesus had for spending time with tax collectors. And you add to that the fact that Jesus had invited Matthew, a tax collector, to leave his tax booth on the outside of town and follow him. And now word was Matthew was one of the 12 in the inner circle of Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. This this had to affect Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector in this area. He had to begin to wonder, is there hope for me? Can this Jesus forgive? Can Can he... guide me to a different future than the one I've chosen? So on that day, Zacchaeus left his compound and took a perch in a tree so that he could see and hear Jesus. Now, I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect that he was in that tree not only to see Jesus, but probably to hide from the crowd as well. I think the tree provided cover in the middle of that crowd. And no one was more shocked than Zacchaeus when Jesus stopped and looked up. I imagine his first thought was, no, 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 no. I'm treed. You know, don't, 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 don't look at me. Don't notice me. But Jesus stopped and he looked up, not, not to give him the tongue lashing that he deserved and that the crowd would have cheered, but he invited himself over to his house. Can you imagine the shock? I mean, Zacchaeus had just gone to get a glimpse. He just had probably a little hope in his heart that maybe there was something he would hear or something he could learn that might show him how to begin to build a different life. He had never expected this. It really must be true. Even greedy, dishonest tax collectors could be forgiven and find a new guide in Jesus. Well, after Jesus spent some time in his house, they probably had a meal. Notice what Zacchaeus does. It says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord. Now realize, this isn't occurring in the tree. He didn't stand up in the tree. This is, he's at the house, his house now. Time has gone by. He stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, <laughs> that's laughable for a chief tax collector, I will pay back four times the amount. Now this, to be clear now, this was not a condition of 
his forgiveness, of his salvation. Jesus made it very, very clear that forgiveness is granted. It's not earned. But the reason Zacchaeus did this is because he knew that if he was ever going to get free of what had guided his life up to this point, it was going to take something like this to get free from the grip of greed. He knew the power that money had. He'd, he'd followed it. He had worshipped it for a long time. And this was far more than was required by the law at the time. The law at this time demanded that a 20% fine be set on any money that was returned that had been stolen. Zacchaeus didn't say, hey, I'll, I'll do 30%. Zacchaeus said, I'll do 400%. I'll give half my money to the poor, and then with what's left, I'll pay everyone back that I wronged four times. Now, you don't have to be very good at math to figure out, I think he cashed out. I think he gave it all. He knew. This wasn't Jesus' requirement. He knew that it was going to take something like this to get a new master in his life. You see, Zacchaeus had given up everything to become a wealthy man. He'd given up his community. He'd probably given up his family to become wealthy. And now he was giving all of that up, all that he had leveraged his three or so decades probably to get this wealth. Now he had turned that all away so that he could become a follower of Jesus. Why? Why would someone do this? Well, because in Jesus, he found the guy that he was looking for in life. He finally found someone who saw beyond time into eternity and who told him, this is what life is about. Follow me. We're surrounded by people who are lost in greed. And like Zacchaeus, they don't know how to undo it. They got mortgages, they got debt, they got obligations, and they don't know how to back up now. They sense the emptiness on the inside. They've seen how it damages their relationships. They've seen what it's done to them physically and what it's done to them emotionally. But money is a taskmaster, and they don't, they don't, know, how to, they don't know how to break free. Some of them are like Zach and that they came by their money on the backs of others. If it wasn't dishonest, people sure got ground up in their climb. People sure paid a price as they promoted themselves. But I think probably most have come by it honestly. But whichever way they came by their money, like Zacchaeus, I think the vast majority of people in this community realize that the pursuit of money has affected them. It has consumed their lives. And like Zach, I don't know how many of them, but some, some percentage of them are beginning to realize that their money has not built them the kind of life that they want. And they are looking for a guide. Now, they're not going to come out and say, hey, I'm lost. They're going to do a Zach. They're going to climb a tree. And incognito, they're going to just want to get a glimpse. Could it, could it be? Is there hope? Could Jesus really be the answer that money has not been? And that brings us to the third point, found in Christ. Jesus is the one who found Zacchaeus that day. He's the only one who can navigate us out of the crowd and out of the greed and into eternity. You know, God obviously had already been working in Zacchaeus' heart. I've, I've guessed, I've imagined, I think, fairly accurately what might have been going on in Zacchaeus' heart, but we don't know. We just know that God was doing something in his heart. 
And Zach had come to get a glimpse of Jesus, but that probably was all. Zach just wanted to check it out. He had never imagined that he'd spend the afternoon with Jesus and make the commitment that he'd made. And if Jesus had not stopped and had not looked up into that tree and had not invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner, Zacchaeus would have remained lost. Jesus would have gone on, the crowd would have dissipated, and at a safe time, Zacchaeus would have climbed back down that tree and slunk back to his compound. If Jesus hadn't stopped, hadn't looked up, hadn't started the conversation, Zach would still be lost. Now, Jesus is no longer doing this. He is no longer physically walking around towns like Jericho and walking up to people who are curious, who are seeking, and striking up conversations. You will not find Jesus walking around the pier at Huntington Beach. You will not find him walking your neighborhood. You, you do that. I do that. We are the ones now that are doing this. We are walking around this community. We're going to grocery stores. We're going to our jobs. We're walking around our neighborhoods because it's our mission now. We are the ones that are to do what Jesus did in Jericho. We are to notice people and talk to them and see if they might be open maybe to a conversation and maybe we might be able to help them find Jesus, the one who can guide us into eternity. But in order for us to do that, I want you to notice just a couple of things in this story that are pretty easy to overlook about what Jesus did. The first is that we read that Jesus was passing through Jericho. Now, this is fascinating. He wasn't even going to Jericho. Jericho was on the way somewhere else. We don't know where, but this was not his final destination. He was moving through. And as we are seeking to do what Jesus did, we are in the same situation. Most of the opportunities to help lost people find Jesus will occur when you're on your way somewhere else, just like it did with Jesus. Because we don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate this entire day to seeking the lost. I'm going to look for conversations, and that's all I'm going to do. No, we get up, and we go to work. And if we're making any money, they expect us to do stuff. And so we start working on that stuff. But it's as we are traveling through space and time on our way somewhere else that God will prompt us to strike up a conversation He will give us a sense that, I wonder if this person's interested. Take an interest in someone. But we'll be busy on our way somewhere else. You see, to us, the most important thing each day is to get what needs to get done and to get where we need to get, whatever that is. That's that's our goal. And what we do is we wake up and we put our heads down and we charge after what we need to get done and where we need to go. But to God... The most important part of each day is the people that we see on our way to getting done what we need to get done and where we need to be. And the question is, will we, like Jesus, notice them? Will we stop and look up and say, I wonder why that guy's in the tree? I wish it was that obvious. Someone's in a tree, an adult's in a tree. You might want to pause and say, can I help you? Probably won't be that obvious. But will we notice? 
And secondly, I want you to notice, notice what Jesus said to Zacchaeus when he stopped and noticed. He didn't say, hey, I'd, I'd like to come by your house today if you're free. Would, would that be possible? He said, no, I must come to your house. That sounds a little creepy. I must come to your house. Well, there was an urgency to Jesus about this exchange. Jesus had a sense that this opportunity is probably never going to come again. I'm on my way through. Zacchaeus, this is urgent. Now, Jesus, just to be clear, he wasn't being pushy. On many occasions, he encountered people that clearly had little interest in what he had to offer, and he did nothing to pursue them. But you see, it was pretty obvious that Zacchaeus was interested. He was seeking. He was looking for the spiritual mall directory. He was wandering around. Why else would he be up in the tree? Now, we don't know what Jesus had been planning on doing with the rest of his day, but all of a sudden, Zacchaeus moved to the very top of the list. That's amazing. You see, with Jesus, people were never in the background of what he was doing. They were the point. They were the must part of the day. And I say this because there is a good chance this week that God will put a Zacchaeus in your path. No guarantee, but there's a good chance. And maybe it'll be someone that you have seen every week for years. But something has happened in their life or something about what they say makes you wonder, are are they interested in spiritual things? Are they curious? Now, again, they're not going to announce it. They're going to be like Zacchaeus in the tree, just on the edge. I want to take a look. I'm not committing to anything. I just want to take a look-see. And you'll have a sense then. The question will be whether or not you'll strike up a conversation. Or maybe it'll be someone completely new. Now, you could be wrong about their interest level. I mean, granted, none of us have the radar that Jesus did when it comes to the human heart. I've been wrong. You've been wrong. That's okay. But you'll never know if you don't at least start a conversation and see where it might go. But again, like Jesus, you'll be on your way somewhere else. And you'll be tempted to put it off. You'll be tempted to think, oh, yeah, I see this person all the time. I'll I'll talk to them next week. This week, I am jammed. I got so much to do. But it could be, that might be the one moment where they got up in a tree and are curious. So don't put it off. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. His mission is now our mission. So before I wrap us up in prayer, I just want to point out this, this card that we identified last week. So just go ahead and take it out. The back side was the one Dale mentioned about the list of things coming up to Easter. This just gives us three practical things to do in this area. First, pray. What I would encourage you to do is as you get up each morning this week is to just pray and say, God, would you show me Anyone like Zacchaeus that's going to be in my path today. Help me to just, I'm going to have my nose to the grindstone, cranking things out. Help me to lift my eyes up to the tree level to see who might be interested. Just pray. And pray for people that you know are far from God. Ask God to do a work in their heart like he did in Zacchaeus's. And then invest. Figure out what, what can I do? What conversation can I strike up? How can I serve someone
as far as I can tell, they're far from God. What, how can I really care about them? And then invite. We're encouraging you to think through who you can invite, not just to Easter Sunday, but the entire five weeks of the series that we're going to do starting Easter. As Dale said, Easter is just six weeks away. So we are praying, we are investing, and then we'll be inviting. I encourage you to join us in this great mission. Let's pray together. Jesus, we, um, we are so grateful. So many of us that have been found are so grateful. We don't have to wander around trying to figure out what is it about life that really matters. You have spoken from outside of time, and you've told us who we are, what we were created for, and where everything is headed. But so many people around us are just lost in the crowd. They're just following whatever the wisdom is of the day, doing whatever the crowd thinks is popular this year and will not think is popular 10 years from now. And so many people are caught up in the wreckage of following the crowd. And then so many in our community have decided that money is really all they need to give their life to. And they have the broken marriages and uh, shattered families and the empty hearts to show for it. And we know on the outside they present well, but inside this community is hurting. Very few people lay their heads down on the pillow of the night with a sense of peace and joy. And Jesus, you're the only one that can grant that. Give us courage, give us eyes to see opportunities and give us courage just to start conversations and see where they may go. Help us to lift our heads up from beyond the grind this week to the people that you put in our, our way, in our path. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.